0: And so I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. If you've never been, make sure you come. It's going to be awesome. All right, there's my little commercial for you. Uh, so uh, a couple things, just what uh, Jordan mentioned. Welcome, you guys. Way to brave the snow if you're here, if you're online. Uh, just so glad you guys are joining us today. Um, we have some flickering, some things that um, the, the team is dialing in, lots of processors. This thing is big, and there's a lot that goes with it. Uh, we also updated our lighting. So we just wanted to show you some capital improvements that we're making. But we're super excited about it, and uh, we can't wait to see how God continues to use his technology uh, for the kingdom. How many of you know God can use technology for the kingdom? You know, God can use, God can use your calling. God can use your, your own personal gaps for the kingdom. And this morning, uh, I wanna, we're going to continue our series, Heal Like Jesus. I think we're on part 14. So Heal Like Jesus, part 14. We're going to look at the story today in Matthew. So you guys can open up your Bibles to Matthew 12. We're going to look at the passage, Matthew 12, verse 22 to 32. So uh, we're going to get to that here in a moment, but I wanted you guys to just to go ahead and, and know where we're headed today. So when we talk about uh, healing like Jesus, we're going through the different scriptures in the Bible, the healing miracles, where we see Jesus heal the sick. We see him raise the dead. We talked about uh, the blind getting healed last week. We talked about dead raising. We talked about faith needs an activity. How, how, you, you guys remember any of this? Pastor Jim, wherever you are right now, they said yes. They said yes. We're going through this series of learning to heal like Jesus, learning from the master how to become like him. And what we're going to do today is read the book of Matthew. But before we dig into Matthew, I want to uh, go through a little bit of context for the book of Matthew. How many of you are nerds and you like, you like reading, you're a big reader, or you like studying and like maybe some scholarship type stuff? Okay, we're going to nerd out. All of my nerds, come on. We're going to nerd out here for like five minutes. I want to bring context to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, uh, the earliest known scholars believe that it was most likely written by Matthew, who was a tax collector, and he was one of the 12. He also actually appears in the book of Matthew. It's just interesting how uh, a lot of times the biblical author somehow appears in their book. It's, it's interesting. Right? John's all over his book as a disciple Jesus loved. Matthew shows up in his. But this is going to be from the, the perspective of Matthew. And each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, bring a unique perspective on Jesus. It's a tapestry that's woven together, and each have a slightly different angle and lens on Jesus and the kingdom. And what Matthew does that's unique, all my nerds, let's let's dig in right now. Let's get our highlighters out. What Matthew does that's unique is there are uh, some, some themes that run through Matthew such as Jesus is the fulfillment of the Torah, that Jesus is the fulfillment from the line of David, that Jesus is a teacher like Moses, and that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So those are the four carrying themes in the book of Matthew that makes it distinctive from Luke, from, from John, from Mark. The earliest accounts of jesus 30 to 40 years after the resurrection it was an oral history was being passed around from the disciples and those around jesus so that means the first the first hand uh eyewitnesses and memories that they had they began to put together and for 30 to 40 years that's what they have and then matthew begins to write and puts together this tapestry of jesus are you with me so we have a graphic we can put up about how the book of Matthew is actually broken down. It's, it's incredibly interesting. We have an introduction, and then we have five sections of Matthew, and then a conclusion of Matthew. Matthew. So the introduction is is the author is connecting Jesus to Old Testament prophetic promises. This is where we see Matthew really front-loaded, filled in, and back-loaded with more references to Isaiah, to the Old Testament, than the other Gospels. We see Matthew front-loaded with These promises of a lineage, making sure that the lineage of Jesus is in there that goes all the way to Abraham, that he comes from the line of David. That this is intentional the way that Matthew is structuring his book. That Matthew, actually, one of the key parts of Matthew in this introduction of prophetic promises is to begin to give you a lens that Jesus is like Moses. Matthew actually wrote his book and structured it into five sections, just like the Torah is five books. He's beginning to show you prophetically who this Jesus is. Now, how many of you know Jesus is like Moses, but Jesus is actually the fulfillment to be the one who's greater than Moses? Matthew begins to to paint this picture. 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days in the desert. Through the Red Sea, baptized at Jordan. Delivering people and coming down from the mountain with a new law. You guys with me? Section one here, the parallel of Jesus being the authoritative teacher is is mapped out in sections one through five, just like like the, the Torah, the five books of the Bible, only Jesus is now being framed as the one who has divine teaching in these five books. These five sections, the first one announces the kingdom of God. Are you guys still with me? The first one, the first section announces the kingdom of God. This is Jesus showing up and announcing the kingdom of God, God's plan to, to, uh, to bring his rescue operation into the world for broken, lost people. His plan for redemption, he's beginning to announce it, he's beginning to proclaim it in this first section. He gives divine teaching, he saves people from their sin, he's beginning to restore God's reign, and what he's doing is he's beginning to establish creating a new covenant family of God. This section, of, uh, this section one ends with the Sermon on the Mount. Moses went up to the mountain and came down with the law on tablets. Jesus now goes up to the mount, of, to the mount and gives the, reframes everything that has to do with a new relationship and a new covenant with God. It's a new teaching. You guys with me? Okay, section two. Section two moves on to Jesus brings the kingdom to people. Chapters 8 through 10 is Jesus constantly showing up and bringing the kingdom of God to individual people. This is where there are there are twelve I'm sorry, there are nine stories of Jesus uh, meeting the broken, the lost. He he's comes to them and he gives them hope. He comes to them and he heals their bodies. He comes to them and he begins to make them whole. It, it, it's one-on-one accounts of Jesus nine times in this section two, which is chapters eight through ten. And they're 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 in triads. So it's three in a row, and then there's this little teaching by of Jesus that, about follow me. And then it's three more narratives of him encountering one-on-one. And then it's another little, little gap of Jesus saying, follow me. And then it's three more accounts of Jesus healing the broken, restoring broken lives. It's amazing. This is a section of scripture, in, G- in section two, that Jesus brings the kingdom, that he begins to write a narrative that says, by accepting me and following me, you can become like me. You can actually experience my grace. He's painting a picture of follow me, follow me as you encounter me. Good. Section three, these are the, this is going to be areas that are responses to Jesus. Now keep in mind, as Matthew writes this book, Jesus is still announcing the kingdom, Jesus is still bringing the kingdom. And now we see Jesus continue this, and he starts to highlight the way that Jesus is being responded to by people that hear him. Does that make sense? Section 3, chapters 11 through 13, this is where people come together and they say uh, there's different responses to who Jesus is. Some say he is the Messiah, and others say, I'm not sure so there's a positive, yes. And there's a neutral that says, I don't know. Even his brothers weren't sure. John the Baptist wasn't sure. And then there's the negative, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law that say, this is not the Messiah. We see this, this, this grouping of different responses to Jesus. Did you know at the end of this section in chapter 13, this is where Jesus Begins to teach, remember, all these blocks are, are ended with Jesus teaching, all of these sections. He teaches the stories about a mustard seed of value, about a hidden treasure, about a pearl of great prize. What is he doing? He's actually giving the commentary of what you just read about people accepting him or not. Does that make sense? That, that, that it's actually, he is the pearl of great prize, and he's giving a commentary on what he just went through in those previous, in those previous chapters. Okay, we're almost finished. Section four, expectations of the Messiah. This is where this section of scripture, uh, Jesus is healing the sick. He's still doing the stuff. He's bringing the kingdom. He's announcing the kingdom. We're seeing different responses. And now we're beginning to see expectations, people thinking who Jesus was, who, the, who he should be, and what they expect of him. So this is where things like people thought that he was a great prophet, and that was it. Others thought that he was the Messiah, but that he was going to overthrow the government that the pagan leadership was finally going to be overthrown. Daniel 2, uh, the the, the teachers of the law, thought that the Messiah was going to come and just overthrow all the current earthly systems, and that was the role of the Messiah. So there's different expectations of the Messiah, and we see this in this section of of Jesus going through different narratives with people and and groups of people. And then what does Jesus do? His block of teaching here in section 4 is he begins to withdraw with the disciples because he teaches them who he thinks the Messiah is. He begins to, t- to teach the disciples who the Messiah actually is. This is where he's beginning to reference the Old Testament quite a bit. He, he brings them through Isaiah, that the suffering servant is actually the Messiah, that the one that will go and take away all of your sins at the cross, the one the, the, the lamb is the Messiah, that to follow this, this servant Messiah, you yourself must become a servant. That he's beginning to unpack these hidden truths about who he is. Things like forgive and don't take out revenge. Things like honor and you'll be lifted up. Yeah. Are you guys with me? Yeah. Finally, this section five is the clash of the kingdoms. This is where Jesus comes in on a donkey, lowly and humble, to his bride. He comes into Jerusalem, he comes in for Israel. And this is where we see Jesus getting celebrated by some. Remember, everything that was existing in the previous sections exists in this, the expectations, the different responses. Some literally worshiped him, and they put, they put palm branches down as, a, as, as an extravagant gift of worship to their king riding on a donkey. This is where we also see now the plot to kill Jesus begins to take full effect. This is, this is the, the story of the clashing of these two kingdoms, And Jesus, again, takes his disciples aside and he teaches them now about the great victory that will come through his his death and resurrection. And finally, he ends with the conclusion. I know we got a big screen, so it's a little lower. But the conclusion is the Passover meal and the prophetic fulfillment of the promises. How many of you know Jesus didn't fail by going to the cross? He was actually fulfilling promises by going to the cross. (laughs) That he began to turn everything upside down. The, the, the Passover meal began to take on a new shape. It meant something new now. Jesus establishes my wine as my the wine is my blood, and, and the bread is my body. What is he doing? He's bringing fulfillment. the The author of Matthew is bringing is bringing into to frame the fulfillment of the Torah. That 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 what Moses gave Jesus now becomes greater. And then he ends, the last thing he says is he gives the great commission to go now into all the world. And, and, and in, from sections three, two through four, Jesus is telling people how to do this stuff. He's sending out the 12. Now he's giving the commission that will last for eternity. Go and make disciples and baptize them into my name. Heal the sick, raise the dead. And then what is the last thing that he says in Matthew to conclude? I will be with you always, I am Emmanuel. He came as Emmanuel and he left them physically as Emmanuel. Does this make sense? Should we just close in prayer? <laughs> this was major, this is nerdum. okay. We're, we can, all, all my non-nerds tune back in, let's tune back in. The context of where we're gonna go today is this responses to Jesus in chapter 12. So let's go there together. Chapter 12 uh, of Matthew, we're gonna look at verse 22. Kind of slowly go through this today, kind of verse by verse, and see where we land. Matthew 12, verse 22 says, Then a demon-possessed man was blind and couldn't speak, was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. And the crowd was amazed and asked, Could that be Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, No wonder he cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons, so they too will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone who's even stronger. Someone who can tie him up and then plunder his house. All right, let's look at verse 22. Verse 22 says this, Then a demon-possessed man was blind and couldn't speak and was brought to Jesus, and he healed the man so that he could speak and see. You know, we've been going through this series, and we found that faith is present in every healing miracle of Jesus. Sometimes it was it was the faith of, of the person who needed restoration, who needed healing. Sometimes it was the faith of a friend. Sometimes it was Jesus showing up with a word of faith and a word of knowledge. And we see in these healing, these this teaching on, on, on healing like Jesus, every time faith was present. So let me ask you a question. So where was faith present in this circumstance? Just take a, a, a look at your notes, look at, look at your scriptures, read it. Where was faith present? It says the demon-possessed man was blind he couldn't speak and was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. Yeah. The bringer. If you can't hear us online, they're just shouting. It's crazy in here. No, I'm just kidding. The bringer. So it says that this man was blind and he was mute, so he would need someone to bring him somewhere. Right? Well, we don't know, the, the scholars, and you can read into this, the context of different words. One thing we know is that he wasn't born this way. So, so in the Greek... The word here for being blind and mute is not the word, the same thing as being born that way. That something came upon him and created, created the ailment. Does this make sense? And we know that it was a demon possession. So the first thing we learn is that demons actually can cause physical ailment in your body. Right. That, that the source of the sickness was actually a demon. Really important. If we don't talk about the source of sickness can be demons, we have a weak theology of healing. Right. Does that make sense? doesn't mean there's a demon behind every sickness. You sneeze and you got to get delivered. That's not what we're saying. But there, 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 there's, there's a dimension of origin that can be from the kingdom of darkness directly from demonic presence in a person's life that results in disease, that results in infirmity. So let's get back to where we were. Where was faith present? Faith was present because someone brought him. So we don't know. Uh, perhaps this man had faith. Do you ever think about that? Perhaps this man, he could hear. Come on, he could hear. He's got something going. Well, maybe he heard about Jesus. Maybe he was around Jesus earlier on the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe he's one of these groups of people that came to Jesus, but maybe couldn't get up close to him. Maybe he heard a friend told him about Jesus, and somehow he communicated that he wants to go. Most likely what occurred is that a friend's relative or someone close to him, a caregiver, brought him to Jesus because they believed that Jesus could help. So it was most likely in this context someone around him heard about Jesus and believed that Jesus would help him. So what's Jesus' response to this? I think this is absolutely amazing. It says, He healed the man so that he could now, he could both speak and see. And the crowd was amazed and asked, Could this be Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah? He healed the man so he could both speak and see. Do you guys know of these 10 verses or so that we're reading today? uh, Jesus heals in like the very first verse. Did you get that? And, and, And how does he do it? Oh, let's take out our notes. Oh, he just healed him. That's what it says. He just healed him is what it says. Did you know, Jesus, that he was fully God and fully man. So he was operating as man, f- perfectly united and filled with the Holy Spirit. That he, he was giving us that, that secret inroad to the kingdom of this is how it works to be you with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't healing as God. Otherwise, we would have no shot to do it. Right. He's showing us an example of partnership with Holy Spirit and the, and the results that that brings. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. All right. Have you guys ever been in um, in a car that has, uh, as my wife would say, really bad hydraulics? <laughs> really bumpy? You know, you go, over a, you go over a speed bump or a pothole and you think you're going to hit your head on the window. How many of you have been there? How many of you are there right now? We're just going to... No. You know, I've, I've driven so many different kinds of cars. I have owned the cheapest cars imaginable. I have driven all sorts of neat cars, uh, and, and it's amazing. One of the things that I love to do with a car is, like, the ultimate test of, like, drivability for me, uh, of how, the, how it handles bumps, is going over a speed bump. Any, anyone else with me? Like, have you ever been in a really a, a janky car that's terrible, and then you're in a really nice vehicle, and you go over it, you're like, it's like, it's like the janky car goes over a speed bump, and it's like, you know, it's rattling. And, and, then, and then you're in, you know, some sort of, like, just awesome car, and you go over, and it's like, boop, you know, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. This is the biggest car. Am I the only one? Okay, if I am, it's fine. But I'm just amazed by great uh, suspension systems and the way it handles things. You know, we tend to think that, like, healing, and, oh, my gosh, whoa, this is blind and mute. Woo, this is going to be bumpy. This is going to be hard. This is going to be heavy lifting. I got to call my prayer, my prayer chain, Amen. prayer ministry team. Start fasting and praying right now. We, 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 we. When we begin to look at the situation through our lens, we will have to. We will try to find a way to ramp up to meet the to meet the situation. When we actually see it through the kingdom, how many of you know it's not about you? It's all about Jesus. It's not about your ability, it's about what he has done already at the cross. That when we begin to see those things as heavy lifting, you've got to take a step back. Your lens is not in the right place. The mute blind man, oh Jesus, did you heal? what did you do? Oh, oh, you just healed him, it says. That how many of you know that Jesus, we're going to talk about this in a second, is that stronger, strong man? that we don't have to dial up, you know, your emergency tongues, <laughs> the moment something comes your way that you feel like it's too big. We actually just need to reconnect with Holy Spirit if we're feeling that way. We just need to reconnect with Jesus. When we have our eyes on Jesus and everything he's done, announcing the kingdom, bringing the kingdom, perfectly fulfilling the promises, you're not that powerful. You can't, you can't break the promises that God has already fulfilled. Did you know that? You you can't mess it up. You can just participate with him and learn how to become like him. So it says that he was healed. Verse 23, the crowd was amazed. And this is where we find Matthew's central narrative in this section of Scripture is the different responses to Jesus. Some said, could this be be the, the promise of David? Could this be the Messiah? They began to see something's connecting. There's power being released That sounds like the Messiah. This beginning to sound like the Jesus that we now know, they're beginning to put it together. Could this be the Messiah? Can you imagine just that buzz? The the, the blind mute man is now seeing and speaking. Could this be the Messiah? This is the fulfillment of, of dreams and hearts. And then what does it say? The next verse But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. You know, some of your translations will say, bulb." do you guys have some of that? So that's just a word that means Lord of Flies. It's just another word for Satan. So what, what this is saying is the Pharisees came up with the quickest answer they could possibly think of. They weren't ready, because you have to understand, Jesus was outwitting them easily in the temple courts leading up to this. Does this make sense? That Jesus was going to the temple courts, and he's giving new teaching, and he's outwitting these Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and Jesus would say things to people. Did you know that the Pharisees had good, had good teaching, but they had bad practice? So, so Jesus would say stuff like, do as they say, but don't do as they do. That they actually had a good word. How many of you know you can have a good word, but you got bad practice? You can have great theology, but you're living wrong. Did you know that? You can come design Christian fellowship and still not be right with God. Boo, no, just kidding. Don't believe that, no. That, 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 That be careful that you don't have great revelation and infancy practice of it. Does this make sense? That it's possible to have great message, great theology, and Jesus is going to say, don't listen, don't do as they do, but you can listen to them. That Jesus is now showing up, saying the right things, being the right person, but also displaying the right actions. That it says in the book of John, see, see Matthew is a book that's going through all of this, bringing together the Old Testament promises. The book of John is a book that gives you insight into the relationship between Jesus and the Father. And we see in the book of John, things like, I only do what I see my Father doing. So when we see Jesus heal, all we're seeing is what the Father wants to do. You know, when we see these promises in the scripture, I like this phrase, it's God's preferred future for you. It's contingent upon you participating. But the promises of God over your life is a window into his preferred future for you. Into his preferred future to redeem the planet. When we see Jesus healing the sick, he's painting a picture of his preferred future and all he's looking for are those to participate with him. Are you guys with me? All right, I promise we're actually, we don't have a ton more to go. Everyone say boo. No, I'm just kidding. Now here is where the the pushback begins. So we're going to spend just the next probably five minutes on the pushback from the Pharisees, on the lie that the Pharisee just began to put out right away, that it is by the devil, it is by Satan that he gets his power. Verse 25, Jesus quickly responds to their weak, flimsy argument. He says this, Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any king divided by civil war is doomed, or a town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against themselves. His own kingdom will not survive. If I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if, and some of your translations say they will judge you, they will be the ones that judge you. Let's just let's just press pause there. So here is Jesus beginning to break down the Pharisees' accusation and turns the argument back on them. And he sarcastically begins to taunt them a little bit and mocks and entertains their disproven accusation. If I cast out demons, you say, what about yours? Did you know this? Jesus says, your disciples, Pharisees, are going to judge you for what you just said. Has anyone ever got a little lost there? Have anyone thought, like, what do you mean by that, Jesus? What, what, What do you mean by that? You know, the Pharisees had good teaching. And it turns out that some of their disciples were actually occasionally fruitful in bringing someone deliverance or freedom, or in different translations, exorcism, freedom from demonic torment. So some of the Pharisees' followers actually had a minor deliverance ministry. How many of you know they had good theology? And some of them were putting into practice correctly. Just just follow me here for a moment. Some scholars actually believe that some of the Pharisees' followers actually were beginning to follow Jesus. So just makes sense. So so Jesus says, well, what about your disciples? What about the deliverances they're bringing? If you say that I'm bringing deliverance from the devil, then you're saying, Pharisee, that you and your disciples, your disciples are bringing deliverance by the Spirit of God. Just follow me. So he said, if that's true, then they are going to judge you because you have withheld deliverance and healing from this man. Is it, are you starting to see what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying, if that's true, if, then that means you just condemn yourself because healing and deliverance was available for this man, but you didn't give it to him. And you're withholding your disciples from following the way I do it. Does this make sense? How many of you know Pharisees actually had good theology? They had bad practice. It's possible that you can have the right teaching on healing, but you yourself aren't actually praying for the sick. Did you know that? That that these Pharisees, Jesus was like, listen, if I'm casting them out by the devil, that means you're casting them out by the Spirit of God. Well, why didn't you do it to this guy? The ones that you're trained to cast out demons, they're going to judge you for withholding it. Does this make sense? Jesus turns things upside down. And now what does he do? Here, here we go, kind of rounding out this, this passage. He says, verse 28, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For whoever is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man, uh, I'm sorry, for whoever, an, whoever is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his good, For only someone even stronger, someone who can tie him up and then plunder his house. All right, this is where it gets good, man. This is where it just gets good. Jesus has been like holding these guns in his holster for a long time right now. And he's like, listen, what he does here is he gives us a parable, which is a commentary of what he just did. He shows us in the spirit what was taking place. He shows us that what you just saw was me actually tying up a strong man who was occupying someone else's house, being a person. He was saying, "There's a strong man in that house, and it takes a stronger man to displace that man." How many of you know Jesus shows up? He is the stronger man. Jesus, I want to really get that. If you feel like you have a stronghold, you're believing a lie because Jesus is the stronger man. It listen that addiction, that thing, that brokenness. Jesus is the stronger man. He he, it's not a competition. The devil and Jesus are not opposites. The devil's a created being. Jesus is creator. That Jesus says, listen, there is a strong one who can come into that house. Someone who moves with authority. How many many of you know, when you see someone that's oppressed by, by a demon, God wants to use you to help bring them freedom. Did you know that? Why? Because he's living inside of you, and the one that is in you is greater than he who's in the world. That, 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 I, I got to get this, because if, you're, if you if you, there's so much weak th- Christian theology that paints this picture as God being a weak God. Come on, there's no one's, he is the stronger, strong one. All right, I think I've, I have nothing else to add to that scripture. Does anyone else does anyone else sense just the, God's longing to be known as the strong one, to be known as the stronger one? It says this: Here's some names of God. See if I can bring them up. El Royal, which is the strong one who sees I think we have them if, if we can throw them up. It's from Genesis 6:16: 6, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord, my banner, and my victory. It's literally his name is your victory. His name is your victory. That when he says the kingdom of God has come upon you, it's because the king has come upon you. So sometimes uh, sometimes we think that the, the presence of God, like the glory of God, is going to be something that is... Um, uh, that, that we taste, see, and smell all the time. Does this make sense? I love moves of God. Who, want, who doesn't want that? So let me just give you some context here. Like, who doesn't want that? God to show up in you know, glory in my house that I have to ask Rachel, where is she? I can't see her. It's too, it's too foggy in here. Where's your voice? Like, I need to hear your voice. You know, the, the, the glory of God is, is, is something that's really amazing because sometimes we think that, like, a cloud is sort of like the exhaust of the engine. That smoke is sort of like the, sort of the, the least amount of known presence of that engine. Does this make sense? Like the glory is just a residue. Guys, the glory is him. Anytime you sense God's presence, it's not this ramping up. Oh, oh Jesus, Jesus' toe just came near to me. No, no, he is. He's in you. He, he is, he's making himself more present for you for, for a reason for a purpose. It could be just to enjoy his presence. It could be because he wants to move powerfully in that moment. It could be because he just has insight and revelation to give to you because he's a good heavenly father. this makes sense? It could be the spirit of God coming upon you in power in a fresh way. That when the kingdom of God has come upon you, it's because the king has come upon you. You've heard you've heard Pastor Jim say this. It's, it's a quote from Roger Sapp. If we could put that uh, behind me here, it says, "God's not going to heal you because you're good. God will not withhold healing. Be- God will not withhold healing because I think I messed that up. God will not withhold healing because you're bad. He will heal you because of what Jesus has done at the cross." How many of you have heard Jim say that before? Amazing, amazing passage from Roger Sapp. Just absolutely amazing. I want to kind of turn that on its head a little bit. You know, when, when I was talking before about having to, uh, going over speed bumps and feeling like, wow, this is a really big obstacle. I better, I better rev up my prayer life right now real fast. You know, I, I better rev up my tongues. You know, I better, I better, I better meet, I better rise up to meet that thing. No, you don't have to rise up to meet the moment. You got to go low to find Jesus. Don't rise up. Go get, get back on your face. Get back in that fire. Don't try to get out of it to be the the mighty person. Just get back in that fire with Jesus. How many of you know he'll he'll show up in the fire? He'll show up in the low place. I want to turn this on its head. I want want, want to read this to you in a slightly different context of of Roger Sapp's quote. See if I can find it. I'm just going to declare this over you guys. That God is not going to use you because you're good. God's not going to disqualify using you because you're bad. God is going to use you because of what Jesus has done at the cross. And you choosing to partner with him. The reason that so many believers aren't able to bring deliverance to those that need it is because they think the person inside is stronger than them. And they, we, we have two heavenly realities. We have, we have two heavenly citizenships. Did you know that? God put you here for now, for, for, for right now. Like, you could have been born 100 years ago. Have you ever thought that? Yeah. He put you here now for a reason. There's divine calling and purpose on your life. And it's needed right now on the planet, it's needed in your communities. It's need. Okay? Just, okay. He, need, he needs that. But you need to recognize. That he, you, he has you here, but your citizenship, according to Colossians, is in heaven. Yeah. That you have a dual citizenship. That you are a foreigner, according to the scriptures, wandering this world right now, looking for the kingdom. Seeking out the king and his kingdom. That you have a dual citizenship. Uh, I was uh, Steve and Wendy back are going to be here next week. Can't wait. I was listening to, uh, to them uh, this week, and I heard Wendy tell this story. And I'm going to close with this. is Uh, told this story about miners uh, have mules that go deep in the caves, deep, deep, deep in coal mines and things like that. And what they have to do is they have to bring their mules out once a week into the light so they don't go blind. Because it's so dark. Does that make sense? How many of you know you have to get out of your grind and you have to remind yourself that you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. Some of us, some of us just need to get out of your, your earthly foot, footing and get into that heavenly footing of who you are. Otherwise, you're going to go blind and numb to the things around you. Does this make sense? That he is the strong one who can bring deliverance and healing. That he is the one that actually invites us to partner with him. And as we move forward, how do we heal like Jesus as we recognize who he is and how we can step in to bring freedom to those around us? Now, if you're here today and you need freedom, I have great news for you. He is the strong one. He is your Jehovah Nisi. He is your victory banner. That there is nothing too difficult for Jesus. We never see Jesus in the scriptures meet something like, hmm, Peter, do you have any ideas? I don't know what to do about this. We, we see Jesus every time showing up as strong. I'm going to close by reading a scripture. It's actually before. I'm not sure if they have it overhead, but they might. It's actually right before this passage in Matthew 22 is Matthew 15 through 21. If we could bring that overhead if it's possible. Matthew 12, verses 15 to 21. This is Jesus talking with Pharisees again, right before we just saw the mute, blind man healed. It says, but Jesus knew what they were planning, so he left that area, and many people followed him, and he healed all among them. Verse 16, but, when he, but he warned them, those that were healed, not to reveal who he was. They, this fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him, saying, look at my servant, Whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. And I will put my spirit upon him. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And his name will be the hope of the world. That your gentle Jesus who lets people reject him left and right, doesn't go in the street and shout. He gives you the option to follow him. He, he gives you the choice. But he is the mighty one, and he is the stronger man. He is the one that goes before, perfectly fulfilling the Father. He is the one. Did you know he's working in the, li- in the lives of people around you right now? Did you know he's working in those that are disconnected to him right now? How many? How do we know that? Because you were disconnected to him at one point. And how many of you can look back now and see Jesus was working in you? Yeah. Yeah. That he is that one that won't break that reed. But don't confuse it. He is the stronger man. Beautiful. Why don't you guys stand up right now? If you need freedom today, if you're saying, man, I need freedom. I have felt oppressed. I have felt like the devil has been uh, uh, just, just... In my world in a way that's causing me chaos. We're going to invite you to come forward and let our teams pray for you. If you need a prophetic word today, just to hear God's voice over you, what is he saying? I'm going to invite you forward here in a moment too. And just receive a prophetic word. And if you need healing in your body, let our teams pray for you. Let's put your hand on your heart right now. Jesus, I just thank you, Lord. I'm amongst the most dangerous people in central Ohio. Those of you listening online, you're included in that statement. Lord, we just give you permission just to reset our heart and to elevate our expectation of your goodness in every circumstance and situation. Jesus, I just thank you right now, Lord, for just stirring up those promises. God, for stirring up that preferred future that you have, Lord, through your promises for your people. I just release that right now. I just break, I just feel like I, I'm just going to take a moment. I just break off uh, the, the discouraged future that you might be looking at right now, relationally, career, home. I just break that off in Jesus' name, and I just release it to you again. I just, I just release over to you again those prophetic promises that he has spoken to you. I just release your prophetic promises again over to you, and, and, and I just release, wow. I just release over you right now that hunger of your first love, that hunger of your first love, that trust of your first love. We thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for right now beginning to to paint pictures of your preferred future, your preferred future, God. And, Lord, we just thank you right now that, that, that every knee in heaven, on earth, and in every spiritual place, bows to the name of Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh, Holy Spirit. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, come next week. It's going to be amazing. Our conference kicks off on uh, Friday, the 29th, or whatever that date is, the 27th. Uh, come next weekend. It's going to be amazing. Come early. This place will fill up really fast. Ministry teams, come on forward. If you want healing, if you need prayer, do you have something, Wes? The snow is fine and slick in the parking lot is what I'm being told. So be careful. Just be really careful, guys. Leave in. Uh, take your time. Don't rush out of here.